Leadership isn't for the faint of heart. It's dirty, dangerous, difficult, and disruptive. It will test everything about who you are. Unfortunately, as a leader, you're out front, which means you usually only get about 43 feet of good road built for those following behind you while you're running the race yourself. Welcome to the 43 Feet Podcast, where each week you'll hear from some of the greatest leaders we can find both in F3 and beyond. If you're going to lead, you'll need to be ready for the difficult challenges, for what lies ahead in the unknown, for what's lurking in the next 43 feet. Welcome back to another episode of the 43 Feet Podcast. Uh, as always, I am Dark Helmet joining you uh, from the the, the digital uh, podcast sphere, if you will. Uh, and uh, a lot of great things happening in F3 Nation right now and, and super excited about all the growth that we're seeing and all the important stuff that's going on. Um, I would make a, uh, and I'll, I may have to edit this out for future um podcasts uh, or future plays of this, but uh, I would make a quick plea. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, go to F3Tenure.com and uh, and register. Come to the 10-year for crying out loud, uh, because that is going to be uh, a pretty epic event. We've got a lot of stuff planned uh, and actually more stuff being added all the time. So um, pretty excited about that. It's in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, October 8th, 9th, and 10th. And uh, it, it will, we estimate, to be probably the largest gathering of F3 men uh, to date. Um, we're, we're looking at hopefully uh, somewhere around a thousand plus packs uh, being there, which will be just insane. I think the energy of that is just going to be incredible. And the community impact that uh, that can be had afterward, I think, will will uh, will will last for a long time as well. So uh, with that sort of announcement out of the way, uh, I'd like to in- introduce my guest today. Uh, he happens to be a PAX, but that's not necessarily why we brought him on. Although I understand that his push up record still stands. Uh in the Alberti household, anyway, it's. A <laughs> but uh, Pete, uh, Pete Alberti, um, is a uh, corporate mogul of sorts. Uh, has done a, a number of uh, a kind of pretty really incredible things, um, career wise, uh, and uh, and is also just a general all around good guy. I'll let him tell most of that story as far as kind of where he went and how he got there. Uh, that's part of what we're going to talk about on the podcast today. So, Pete, welcome. Hey, thank you very much, and. Uh... I was actually thinking about the 10-year anniversary um, recently as well, uh, ah. up on that, because I guess I, I realized the 10-year anniversary only happens one time, and, and uh, this time. I mean, I guess we could dissolve it, all of F3, pretend it didn't exist, go 10 more years and then do it again. I don't know, something like that, maybe, but yeah, th- this will be a once-in-a-lifetime for sure. Um, we may have other other events like this in the future, but certainly uh, only one 10-year. There will be only one 10-year. Uh, so, um, Pete, uh, outside of being, uh, well, first of all, I guess, tell them where you're from, uh, in terms of the nation is concerned. Uh, and then, and then a little bit about kind of how did you end up in, in that part of the world? Great. Uh, again, thanks for having me on. This is really exciting. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's my pleasure to, to be on this and, and try to, um, tell a bit of my story and it's awkward for me. I'm not a big talker about but hopefully um, I can talk a little bit about, um, you know, how my life has developed and, and hopefully that's helpful to others that are going down parallel paths. And, um, you know, I grew up, my, my dad was in the Navy, um, but unusually never moved. Uh, he, was, he was stationed in the Pentagon. And uh, so I grew up in suburban DC uh, and then um, was really, uh, you know, I had a very fortunate 
upbringing. You know, I had one sister, uh, intact parents, intact family, had a, had a close group and uh, lived that kind of life in the, uh, the 70s where it's like, you know, get good grades, get into a good school, you get into a good school, you do well there, you can get a good job and you're all, you know, and that was kind of the mantra of, of life and, and growing up, playing sports, having a good time. Mm-hmm. That was, it was very fortunate. Um, and, um, you know, ho- hopefully I, t- I took advantage of that for, for, for lots of reasons. Um, and so grew up in suburban DC and then in my career has taken me um, to Charlotte, Orlando, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, and then work my way back to the Mid-Atlantic area. So I'm in, in the Raleigh area today um, in F3 Speak, that's Carpex, uh, on the, the west side of Raleigh, if you will. And, um, you know, I have been a, a, a member of F3 for a little over three years. So I was actually 50 when, when I found F3, which is a bit unusual. Um, but have really enjoyed that quite a bit. Oh yeah, you that that is a little later the uh, a lot of times than maybe some guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because it, it's somewhat paralleled um, my professional life of uh, so? uh, you know you you try different things along the way and um, you, you interact with people um, and at at the end of the day everything's about people, right? If it's business or pleasure or family, it's always about the people. You can try to work on processes and systems and things like that, but it's about the people. And, you know, I, I did triathlete, uh, triathletes, uh, triathlons a while ago, um, occasional running, weightlifting, fitness stuff, P90X, all this stuff kind of on your own. You try this, try that. And, um, you know, one of my neighbors, Kyle Montgomery, uh, affectionately known as Flacco in Carpex. Um, you know, I, he had told me about some nutty early morning workout thing he was doing in the park. And uh, I actually ran into him at a, at a kind of a concert and Thursday night get together. And I said, are you doing that thing tomorrow? And I said, you know, can I, can I tag along? So I basically EH'd myself looking for something better, looking for something to do. Had no idea even if it was called F3. So it's pretty funny, but that was uh, May of uh, a little more than three years ago. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> and I, I liken that to a, a business career or a, a marriage because because things develop over time, right? You try different mm-hmm. things and you know, I'm extremely fortunate. I, I live now for uh, four sons. I have uh, four boys, um, uh, three of which have posted and uh, which is I'm still working on the last one. Uh, but, you know, I tell them life's about decisions, you know, life's about choice. And it's like business strategy is about choices. Sometimes the hardest choices are what not to do um, because you have to eliminate certain things to be able to accomplish anything. And it's that focus and evolution of those decisions where you say, okay, I made this decision that's got me on this path. What's good about it and what's bad about it? And when I get to the next decision point, how do I lean farther into the things that are good about it? And I can limit the things that are bad about it. And that, again, is true about everything in life, choosing friends, a school choice, a major in school choice, uh, careers. Um, you know, What am I learning? Is this, is this helping me? Is it not helping me? How do I make those, those choices in the moment? And, um, you know, it's, it's a worn out cliche to say life's a marathon, not a sprint, but it really is. It's 
you know, how do you keep chugging along and continue to make, you know, decisions that you hope always in the moment that you're bettering your situation. Um, but sometimes it's not right. And we all sure. make those mistakes and, um, you can't be, you can't be frozen in fear of those mistakes. You've got to, you got to go with it. And, um, if it's, if it is a mistake, then you've got another opportunity to make a decision, I guess. No, it's a very good point. You, you mentioned there uh, a couple things. One, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. This is the only marathon I will ever run then because I have no interest in any others. Um, but uh, something else you said in there kind of made me think, you know, that there's a, a sort of myth, I think, that many of us men operate under, uh, and that is that somehow at some point we will arrive, that we will have hit, hit the finality point. Like we will have said, ah, okay, now I've done all the things I needed to do or said all the things I needed to say, and now I get to just relax or I get to just stop uh, or whatever. And I guess a lot of guys do that, but... Um, and they theoretically, you know, retire or whatever that means. Uh, and, and then I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they find themselves always in a very good place. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, um, yeah, popular culture or whatever it is, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, the retirement industry is always pic- pictures of old people walking on the beach, looking at <laughs> hotels and, I have a great uh, Wednesday morning group, and we we laugh about that to some degree because I think one of our uh, one of our dads, uh, not to be mentioned, is you know walks up and down the beach looking for seashells, and it's like how many days in a row can you really do that? Um, and you know the retirement industry has these beautiful pictures. Um, the world seems to you know push advertising all our, on us all the time about the, a fancier car, a bigger house, whatever. Um, but none of those things really matter at the end of the day. And I think if, if it's about relationships and people and it's about making progress um, yeah. and therefore there is no finish line to your point. And if I look back in, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 54, you know, if I look back in my career um, and I'm, I'm not looking back on all of it because I still have more to go. Uh, but when I've been most frustrated is when, you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you feel like you're not making any progress. And, and that's always been the case for me. You know, maybe you, you have a boss who looks like they'll never go anywhere and you're some corporate hierarchy and you feel like you'll be stuck uh, and, and you get itchy and you want to make a move to do something else. And, you know, I think that um, when, when I'm spinning my wheels uh, that's, that's where uh, you get antsy. And I think, I would be exactly there if, if I said, you know what, at X number, uh, a birthday or years from now, I'm just going to, you know, sit on that proverbial beach. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine it lasting very long before yeah. you start something more productive. Yeah, so, some sort of uh, invented arbitrary number that we say, oh, this, this is work stop day. Like, <laughs> you know, and now I, I just exist to do nothing, I guess, from now. Yeah. Um, you said something though about, you know, you mentioned your, your career journey a couple different times now. And, and, and that is part of what, you know, what I wanted to talk about today, because, you know, as, as men, we, we look at our careers in, in a number of ways. Um, a lot of times we have a tendency to sort of put those as the paramount, uh, thing in our lives. And regardless of where you feel like you put it on your priority, uh, you know, scale, um, it still takes probably the majority of your time uh, over all of your years, you know, certainly your first, you know, 60 years or whatever it is of life, depending on how you, you know, define and figure out 
uh, retirement or whatever after that, right? So you have this thing that you spend all this time doing and, and, and whatever. And you mentioned getting stuck and, and, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording this about like, you know, kind of the, the midlife crisis and, and how we find ourselves sort of, you know, wondering what else is there and, and is there more and am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing and, and all those kinds of things. And, and you have kind of a very interesting story and most of us, uh, no matter could point to whatever you want as a measure of success by all temporal, you know, worldly measures of success. Pete, you, I mean, you, you kind of, you kind of hit them, right? I mean, it's kind of a big deal in terms of corporate America. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious, like walk us through a little bit about sort of the, the journey of how you ended up where you ended up and, and some of those things and, and kind of also parallel to that, what were you feeling and what was going through your mind during all of that as you, as you raised yourself and, and, you know, climbed the ladder? Sure. No, thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, happy to tell my story. And, and I think it's a very typical story. Um, uh, you know, I, I graduated a finance degree. Um, I think that helped me um, in, in logical decision-making um, realities. Uh, but I really um, flourished in corporate sales, corporate to corporate sales. And I, this is where... Uh, you know, even if you're an accountant, you're in sales, you've got internal customers that nobody really loves sales to some degree, but uh, nothing happens without it. And I absolutely loved uh, understanding where my company wanted to go and then digging deep with my customers to help them achieve their goals with whatever I had in my toolbox, my brands, my products, my ability to make them margin. Um, if I could help my customers win, then then I won. And I, I, I really... Um, enjoyed that. Um, and I, I was always trying to achieve things. And I think, I think, you know, you could go back and do some counseling and try to figure out why, et cetera. But, you know, thankfully I was always, I was always competitive. I always wanted to do more, um, uh, collaborative, but also saw, you know, if I was one of 25 people at a certain level in a company, I wanted to be the best of those 25 people and then be, you know, promoted to the next level kind of thing. And I was with, you know, I was always in this consumer packaged goods industry. I was with a company that was um, acquired by Unilever, which is, you know, at the time, $55 billion global maker of just about, you know, something on every aisle of a grocery store or a Walmart target kind of thing. Uh, big competitor for P and G on a global basis, if you think of it that way. Um, and um, again, really flourished, but in that career, you have to travel um, to get, get out and see your customers. And then you also um, have to be willing to put your hand up um, to move to, to kind of take that next role. Um, it was rare that you could kind of be promoted in, in the same location. Uh, and that's what took me, you know, from East coast to West coast, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it, it probably cost me friendships, you know, college friends, et cetera, proximity. You lose, you lose track with people at, at some point you become so busy as well that, you know, keeping up with your family is, is a heroic, you know, a heroic effort, but, um, you know, I think in all, it's been a, it's been a marvelous um, adventure and um, you try to keep some balance, but I think early in your career, um, you're definitely overweighted to um, career and making that thing happen. At least I was um, doing the, doing the best I could uh, off times and 
you know, I'm, I'm married to an amazing woman uh, now over 30 years. My wife, Helen, is, is a saint um, because I was on, on the road a lot of those years. And, you know, we ended up raising four boys. The oldest is 28 now, which is crazy to think about. Um, but, you know, my legacy is are those kids now versus my career. And I really want, you know, working my tail off to, to hopefully pass down some wisdom and help them make great decisions and, and move their lives and actually... Um, maybe repeat some of the good things I did and, and avoid some of the, the mistakes I've made. Uh, and some of those mistakes career-wise really have to do about, um, you know, maybe getting out of balance earlier in my career and just saying, okay, you know, what's the next role? How do I do this? And, you know, if I was in a job for 18 months, I was getting itchy about why, why am I not progressing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think you finally get to that moment where um, you start to think about, you know, what, what exactly am I doing here? What's next? When it becomes, you know, conversation about, oh, you're going to, you know, take an overseas thing next, and then you're going to do this next. And it's like, um, when is, when is it enough? Uh, you know, what, what, uh, where's the line that says, I don't want to go any farther than that. And then there was also this, um, I've always had a bit of a rebel in me that, if I felt like I was getting uh, hemmed in or, or handcuffed a little too much, um, you know, I, I would, I would uh, react negatively to say the least in terms of, um, and, and when I did leave Unilever, um, they have a weird scale, but they basically said no one at your, your level has ever, you know, voluntarily left. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, that, that told me I was making the right decision because they, they put you on this program that basically, you know, every three years, every year you get awarded another three. Yeah. It, the, the golden handcuff program is that the- <laughs> Yeah. And so they get you on, you know, this, this kind of um, treadmill that, you know, it, it gets harder and harder to leave, but what they ended up doing is just consolidating business over time that, you know, people don't retire. They just be they get asked to leave at one point or another. And that, you know, there's too many people around saying, I only have 15 years left and maybe they'll package me out before. And it's like, I I'm too young. I want to, I want to make things happen. And, um, you know, not just for myself, but, you know, every post I was at, I wanted to think about, you know, how, how could I, my tenure here be remembered in terms of, what we got done or what we accomplished or, or the people or who I, who I was able to put in place um, as, as I moved on, et cetera. Um, so I think all those are all important parts, but, you know, the, the key question is what ladder are you climbing? And if you get to the top of it, are you where you want to be? Um, and that whole kind of time you're picking up things along the way, volunteering at your church, you're trying to, you're trying to do all these things that, um, make sense in your life um, and bring some balance and, and contributions to communities and things like that. Um, and I was fortunate enough to um, have a friend of a friend come to uh, Bird's Bees in 2006 as, as the CEO and um, didn't know him face to face, but had mutual acquaintances and um, Burt's Bees was this kind of diamond in the rough in 2006, a little company in, in the channel. And was it, it was independent at that time or? It, okay. Yeah. Founder had just uh, sold, um, you know, a good chunk of it to uh, a private equity company that um, 
you know, basically was putting together a team to say, okay, let's, let's make a run with this brand that we think has some legs to it. And the reason I bring that up is that that was the first time in my career, kind of a light went off that you can do, um, you can do well and do good at the same time. Meaning um, you can leave a giant corporation um, that is kind of nameless, faceless, you know, UPCs shipping out to customers um, and then do, you know, missional work outside of that on weekends and holidays or whatever. Um, but at Burt's, we had this amazing opportunity to do both at the same time. So, you know, it, yeah. it, business was missional. Um, we had this amazing uh, founder who came up with, you know, natural products. You know, I call it, she was country before country it was cool, right? She was really dedicated <laughs> So like, wow, I, I was involved with this business that was on a mission to give people better products, healthier products. Um, I could bring that to retailers around the world um, in, a, in a way that it was a win-win where retailers could actually offer a better product to their shoppers and expand their business. And oh, by the way, our business could expand as well. So it was kind of a triple win. And it was, it was a real thrill, um, you know, to, to grow Burt's at the time. And um, you know, we had a great time. We, you know, how many times do you get to take something brand new to Walgreens and CVS and Target and Walmart and everything? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say never. Uh, for the vast, vast majority of us, never. No, no one is going to, right? Yeah, it's not even an option. Um, and just running and gunning. It was, it yeah. was fun. And it, it felt so good to be part uh, of an organization where we could say, okay, these are the things we want to accomplish. But mission was a big part of that accomplishment in our incentives, you know, were volunteer days and building playgrounds in underprivileged neighborhoods. And how do we get, you know, natural product standards uh, built in an industry and things like that much beyond more beyond, you know, what our top line and EBITDA goals would be. Yeah. No, and see, so that's the thing, right? So here you are. And, and again, for, for guys who are listening, who may or may not be uh, totally uh, familiar because Unilever is one of those that it's like, yeah, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but it, I promise if you turn over your shampoo bottle, it's Unilever, right? You know, <laughs> within reason, right? It's so many consumer products, particularly in the health and, and beauty and, and, and uh, you know, personal line kind of stuff, right? And so here you are, you, you by all estimations, you said early in your career, uh, and, and you, you came out, you know, finance degree, all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't know if, the, how early was it that you finally ended up at Unilever? Cause you went, you were at some other places too, kind of along the way, right? Other big brands. Yeah. Um, I actually started in, in, uh, a company called Helene Curtis and we were kind of the David versus Goliath. The Goliath in hair care at the time was, uh, Procter and Gamble. Um, you know, this goes pretty far back. Um, Helene Curtis. Yeah, it was, I would say it's funny now. Cause like, I don't know how big Helene Curtis is now, but I've, I've certainly heard of them. So they may have been small then. I mean, they're, they're pretty big now, right? Um, it's part of Unilever, right? So, oh, I, okay. uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, for, for folks who have some uh, gray hairs to them, uh, pun fully intended, uh, Helene Curtis were brands like Suave, Salon Selectives, Finesse. And then, you know, when I was there, we launched Degree Deodorant, which is, um, you know, a pretty powerful brand still. So. Maybe you've heard of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's funny in the giant, you know, at, at Unilever, we ended up with over 1600 brands at one point, and it was just a disaster of trying to feed all those mouths. So a lot of those brands got consolidated, sold off, et cetera. Suave is still in the portfolio, but most of the hair care they're trying to um, uh, consolidate into like a Dove brand, a brand that they can um, 
you know, basically leverage globally. So anywhere you go in the world, you've got Dove and Dove is in deodorant and hair care. And, yeah. skin. and, and is that kind of why they, they took some of those and was like, oh, now we're going to Dove for men and, you know, and, try yeah. and, and clump it all up. So, yeah, that makes sense. The dollars go further that way. Yeah. That's for- um, yeah. So, I, so I, there you are. You're at Helene Curtis. And then what happens? Helene Curtis uh, gets bought by Unilever. Um, and so I stay on for another five years um, in that in that company. And um, Unilever, again, uh, growth through acquisition. So continually acquiring things, continually putting brands together and, and companies together. So they build a group called um, Unilever Home and Personal Care. Uh, which was Helene Curtis plus Cheeseboro Ponds, which is like Ponds Face Care, Vaseline Intensive Care, Q-tips, Q-tips yeah. Mm-hmm. At, uh, and then Lever Brothers, um, which was largely a, a, a traditional soap company, uh, Lever 2000 Soap, you probably remember, again, another brand that's kind of been pushed by the wayside, but also big yeah. laundry is um, uh, all detergent, surf, snuggle, whisk, um, again, a lot of brands that used to be big that, uh, right. in over time, yeah. uh, then, you know, it was just obvious that that business was going to get merged with the food business at the time. It was Lipton tea and ragu sauces and nor best foods, Hellman's mayonnaise, all that stuff. Um, and then, um, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, uh, good humor, ice cream, stuff like that. And so, you know, I was in a spot where you could just look forward, um, five years plus and all these businesses would eventually be merged together it was just it was just going to happen because that was it was a synergy such a play uh how do you save money um do do more with less kind of program um and so it wasn't all that exciting for me um to fly at the time i was living in chicago and it was basically every few months you fly people into the hilton in chicago and the hilton in chicago if you're ever asked to go in there for a meeting don't because there are all these there's an entire floor of rooms that three people can meet in you know (laughs) the manager the person uh getting laid off yeah Uh, just skip the meeting You're, you're getting a pink slip that's the way it goes like, uh, oh, save me the trip. Just tell me what you got going on. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't terribly motivating. And then uh, I was recruited out to L'Oreal um, and uh, had a three or three or so jobs at L'Oreal was was running um, uh, professional sales for them for a couple of years. And uh, they wanted to uh, promote me to a big job there. And uh, again, in my rebel kind of ways, that's when I left and went to Burt's Bees and, and, you know, the president of L'Oreal was like, you got to be joking. You know, I'm giving you this, this opportunity. Um, but I tell you, it just wasn't a good fit for me. You know, it, it, you know, I had an office in New York city on fifth Avenue and hated every minute of it. And the people who, you know, God bless you if you're a New Yorker, but you know, the people I worked with in Manhattan were wonderful people, but they're like, this is the greatest place in the world. You know, I'd never go anywhere else. And I'm like, obviously you've never lived anywhere else because you know, it's, it's, it's a rat race. <laughs> you have no basis of comparison friend. Yeah. Bus to a train station, the train to the subway, the subway to, to work and you know, two yeah. hours in your house, you're sweating and you get to the office. Okay. That's a good day. So, um, you know, I was, I was, uh, excited, you know, again, great company, but I think that the point is, and, only in hindsight do I realize this is like I, I was learning so many things um, and, you know, 
uh, and if I'm talking to people out there listening younger in their careers, be conscious of the things you're trying to learn in any particular stop or along the way and say, okay, what skills am I picking up here? You know, and that, that can be technical skills or people skills, management skills, listening skills, all those things that matter. Um, and the funny thing is when I got to Burt's, so I'd been at Unilever and L'Oreal, uh, L'Oreal is a shrimp compared to uh, Unilever. L'Oreal at the time was only like 15 billion in sales. Um, but going to Burt's, which we were, you know, we were in the tens of millions, but not, you know, 100 or anything like that. Um, once you get there, you, you figure out that in my career, I had been operating businesses that were largely already figured out and processes have been built. Kind of the railroad had been built. And yes, there's, there's spurs that were being you know, grown, et cetera, but you're largely running a business that's chugging down, you know, yeah, fairly self-sustaining at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and that's, that's why they, people are nearly interchangeable. It's like, okay, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> uh, but at birds, you get there and you're like, wow. Um, so, you know, who does this or, you know, where's the department that does that? And generally all the answers were uh, go in the men's room, look in the mirror, you know, <laughs> Oh, you just volunteered to be that department friend. <laughs> like, well, you know, here's our budget. You know, if you can hire somebody to do it, go for it. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm making light of it to some degree, but it was, it was so exciting and, and growth was coming really well. Yeah. Uh, marketing program was kicking in and retailers were buying in and we were executing very well. So it became um, a, a, a story about what we put in place last year is not going to be a good enough for what, you know, yeah. we're accomplished next year. So this yeah. continued improvement um, was very exciting and fun. And, um, you know, all those things were, were clicking and the team was strong and, and really uh, a lot of trust, which was exciting. Yeah, that is awesome. So but back up a second. So you, again, by all measurable, uh, whatever, you know, points, right? You, you had, quote unquote, made it. I mean, isn't that what, that's the American dream, right? That I would go to work for a company, get promoted, be a big brand. I mean, you know, Fifth Avenue office. I mean, come on, man. Like that's that's it. Like at that point, aren't you? Yeah, it was brutal. But how could you possibly have been any happier? You've made it. You did it. Why would you leave that? Why did you leave that? Why why did you? I mean, it couldn't have just been the commute. I mean, you'd have figured that out. You could have gotten an apartment in the city, right? I mean, you could have figured that out. So wh what was it? What was it inside you that was happening that you said, I got to get out of here and I'm willing to... I'm willing to to part with golden handcuffs to get out of here. Yeah, Frank, it's the cage. It's the cage. It's 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 the what am I signing up for here? And is it a fit for my life? And um I I I guess I'm glad I have that kind of rebel side to me because I didn't feel like I was getting any um anything out of it from a learning perspective. There were all there were new emergencies all the time, of course, and there's a new crisis all the time, of course, and the stock price has to go up and the quarterly earnings have to be met and this customer is complaining about this and this person quit. You know, there's always something, but it it felt like the same thing over and over. And OK, you just you just you have more responsibility and there's more. And yes, you're going to get paid more, but there's a there's a high cost to that pay of travel less family time, more demands, all, all those things that come with it. And, you know, um, 
a, a lot of people think that, oh, wow, you're going to be X title with that giant company. That means you really don't have to work very hard anymore. And all these people work for you and you just uh, stroll in at 1030 in the morning with a cup of coffee and bark some orders. And yeah, I mean, that's that's you know, companies are really in the business of, of paying you a large amount of money to do very, very little. That's that's typically how it works. Right. <laughs> that is not the case. right? Oh, so, no. <laughs> um, you know, getting the strategy right and making it happen. You know, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And, you know, I just I didn't want to do. Um, that that routine um and i i didn't feel like it was me um and i th i thought like yeah it was it was a it was a big risk and uh i do encourage risk but you know it was a it was a business i knew i could be helpful in shifting from l'oreal to birds is what i'm referring to it was a business i knew my skills would help i had a lot of uh connections with the biggest retailers in the world um i could i could bring a lot of value and I was up for the adventure. Did I know everything and all the issues I would run into? No. Did I know that we'd be bumping up against bank covenants? You know, the, the day after I start, I was informed of these things. No. But you know what? It's fun. And then, you know, you, you get some things going. And I felt like I was free. And, um, you know, operating on a, um, a, a much better cadence of uh, an executive team that was working well together. And we could write our strategy, you know, in the morning and be executing it in the afternoon instead of, well, that's a good idea. Let's add that to the five-year strategy. Make sure it's in the proper PowerPoint format. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it at our, at our next, you know, session when we do talk about strategy kind of thing, you know, and the, the contrast is, is, is day and night. Yeah. And so I, this freedom of operation, freedom to build your teams, freedom to build processes that worked in the right level, not not $15 billion company processes, but something that worked for you for the next, you know, reasonable time period, knowing full well that you're going to have to build a bigger, wider bridge later. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, just have fun with it. And it was, it was a real thrill to um, be productive in and do, do good things at the same time, which is, which is really, um, you know, what it's about. And, and that doing good things. And okay. So that's a really good point. So first of all, you said, that's what it's really about. And you added there, I don't know if the, if, the, if the listeners heard it, but for you. Right. For you, that's what it's all about. Exactly. And and so you, being part of that large machine that, I mean, really, you it sounds like you could have zipped brands in and out. You could have zipped people in and out. You could have zipped the entire, uh, you know, product line, whatever. You know, if suddenly Unilever was like, eh, we make cars now. You know, like, okay. You know, you just kind of, whatever. It just sort of happens, right? And, um, but moving from that then... That wasn't fulfilling you. That was leaving you empty. That was leaving you at a at a place where you were like, you know what, I, I, I it doesn't matter how much money you pay me, I can't do this anymore. And you head over to this small, <laughs> smallish, right, ten million dollar startup or whatever it is, right, twenty million dollar startup. Yeah, yeah. good sized business. Yeah, um, we cer yeah. So certainly by basis of comparison, it's small. It's still a reasonable uh, business, but you kind of come over here and you go, oh my gosh, so. What one of the things you said there though that really struck me is you said I felt free. Yeah, I felt free. Do you think that's what what men are missing? I I think it's incredibly important, um, and I I didn't realize it until I left it uh, in terms of how 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 much of a cage I was in. I felt 
I felt that itch. I had to do something. Um, but only again, in hindsight, um, you know, and it's funny. And then it changed back because we were we were private equity owned. So it was only a matter of time before the private equity group says, you know what? Um, right. Yeah. It's time to put our our toe in the water. Here's a fun idea. Why don't we sell this to Unilever? No. <laughs> well, God forbid, right? So right. There, there, and I guess it's it's you know. Gosh, it's more than a decade ago, so I can say it. But L'Oreal was in at the very end. Uh, thankfully, didn't didn't win. I was cheering for uh, Clorox. Ended up buying us, which um, I was cheering really hard for Clorox because they didn't have any businesses like ours. You know, they were in trash bags and and cleaning and stuff. Yeah, bleach wise, but you know things like um, you know Hidden Valley Ranch salad dressing and you know things like this. You don't know Clorox, bunch of stuff. Um, but you know, they are out on the West Coast and and didn't have anything kind of in the health and wellness, health and beauty spot. I think they had Brita filters and things like that, that, you know, they tried to say are, are wellness products, which which is great. Um, but, you know, Clorox is a fine company, great people. But uh, once you start talking with a lot of big corporate people again, it's like, oh, my God, you know, there it is. You just start to feel that the, the, the bar is coming in. And it's um, and, you know, what I say is like once you've been free, you I can't go back in that cage, you know? So it's like, you know, I loved living here. We had been living here for, you know, several years. I didn't want to go to New York. I didn't want to go back to Chicago. Uh, how do I stay in the Carolinas? Like, wow, there's this, there's this great company you're working with and it's right here in your backyard. But every, you know, every weekend I would kind of convince myself that it's this great thing. And then, you know, come Monday morning, it was like, I, I, you know, the process, the bureaucracy and those things that big public companies have to do because they are big public companies, um, you know, just, just wasn't a fit anymore. And I think, you know, the one thing I would encourage folks to do is, is think about this kind of marathon and, and don't quit things immediately, but prepare, um, for your midnight midlife crisis now versus waiting for it. Meaning right. those buy your own freedom starting today and make a plan to do that and have, have the flexibility to say, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm going to make a change. And it, it, you know, some people make rash changes and jump right in, um, you know, and, and take a lot of risk, which is, which is one thing I, I, I wasn't in a spot to do that. You know, I have four little kids, you know, we travel around the country, a lot of responsibility. And, um, you know, early in my career, the company said, we want you move to LA, you know, it was right after they had the, the Rodney King riots and all that stuff. And my wife's like, I'll move anywhere except for LA. And I'm like, well, <clears throat> here's, here's what I've been. Funny story, honey. <laughs> but we'll live in Orange County. It's pretty far away. Um, but yeah. anyway, um, you know, and early in my career, I kind of did, did what I was supposed to do, you know, from a societal standpoint, you know, like, Hey, you're getting promoted. Why would you say no? Um, and, you know, in, in, again, hindsight, it was great. It was an adventure. You know, we had a, one of my sons in Florida, one in California, two in Chicago, you know, we made the best of it. We had a great time. Um, but, you know, plan for, plan for change, uh, prepare for change. Don't be rash about it. But, and the other learning is that you can actually bring missional work to whatever company you have today. Mm. Uh, and yeah. really proud that, you know, the team of people at Burt's Bees who were acquired by Clorox have done huge things within Clorox to influence change. Really from the, from the Burt's Bees side to the, the larger organization. So stuff around, you know, the environmental work and the sustainability work, 
um, Clorox was was doing a, a good job already on track, but I think we really helped accelerate a lot of those standards. You know, you get people who are like, well, Clorox is going to ruin Burns Bees, but, you know, we really set out to help influence the, the bigger corporation. Um, and even though it's, it wasn't going to be a place for me for a long, long time, again, it's a fine corporation, but, you know, I found my freedom and, and I, I wanted to stick with that, you know, I'm much better operating at a, at a uh, smaller, more agile uh, company, um, you know, just again, for, for you got to find what you like. And, right, and those right. like, yeah. you like the, a lot of people love the corporate atmosphere and the support and all those things that come with it. And that's wonderful. Um, if you realize you like that and you're intentional that you like that, then absolutely get after it. Um, but I figured out, you know, it was not for me. And I really flourished in this kind of, um, uh, I guess more agile is probably the best way I can put it um, type level yeah. um, where you felt, I felt like I was in much more control. I could make decisions that uh, fit the corp corporation and, and myself at the same time. Yeah. In F3 parlance, we would call that a lizard organization versus a bullfrog, right? The, the bullfrog being the, the, you know, the big fat bloated, doesn't get anything done very fast, just waits for flies to come by and the lizard being that nimble, small, you know, buddy, you grab a lizard by the tail, it'll break it off, grow a new one. We don't care, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's this whole, um, it's a very typical operating philosophy of small top line growth, you know, maybe trying to steal the market share from a competitor, but, you know, maybe 2% on the top line and it's always at least 10% on the bottom line in terms of, okay, so how do we raise the gross margin on this? Yeah. How do we gut more of what we've already been... <laughs> Well, you water it down a little bit more, yep. you know, yep. kind of, it just, it's not interesting to me, you know, and I'll tell a quick story if that helps to understand is um, Unilever had a, a dish detergent brand, a liquid dish brand that you would make suds in your sink with called Sunlight. Um, if you remember that. I do remember Sunlight. Yeah. Sunlight was like a tier two brand competed with TNG's brand called Joy. Yep. Um, not as efficacious as like a Dawn. Or your, yeah. Your Dawn or your Palmolive or. Right. Those were yeah. the, like higher technology, uh, higher price point products. But, you know, Joy was a pretty, pretty decent product. Lever Brothers launched it a million years ago. Um, but there was a, there was an annual program um, to improve margins. And uh, R&D would always tinker with the formula and said, you know, um, where we are today versus we can move to this one. We can save X amount. And it's not a consumer perceived difference. You know, like we talked to 100 consumers. Most of them can't tell the difference. Um, and that's fine, but it's literally the telephone game with kindergartners, right? Because if you do that 10 years in a row, then, you know, show me where you started and where you ended in it. And where is that brand today? You know, no place. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that to me, it's like, you got to have high standards. You've got to absolutely strive to be the best or else you're going to end up being a commodity competing on price every day with it with a bunch of other competitors who, who don't have the foresight and, and will sell cheaper than you because they want to survive another day. Um, but, you know, you've got to keep that quality up. And, and I think that's, you know, a legacy that, you know, I, I don't want to monkey around with um, and water down things to just to make the margin, you know, this quarter or whatever. Um, right. Being bigger and more sustainable that pleases more people over the long term. Yeah, no doubt. It's funny. I mean, golly, so many uh, kind of life lessons packed, you know, 
<laughs> into that 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 story. I mean, just just the the joy story, right? You know, just the the watering down the water. Yeah, because if you had gone from here, where no no you know negligible 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 negligible. Oh wait, what if we went back ten years and compared it to that one? You know, I, I bet you for sure they noticed the difference, right? But but how carefully and quickly, uh, and and just you know, without even noticing, we find ourselves without guardrails, we find ourselves just drifting and drifting and drifting further and further and further from the standard, and and really that's the that's kind of the point you're making, right? Yeah, and this is so true of life, right? Because uh, I've done this a bunch of times where, and it, and it could be like, wow, I was really hitting on all cylinders there. What was I doing? I was, I had this amazing routine down. I was doing this. I was reading. I was staying up. And then, you know, like sometimes you just get off track and it's like, hey, you know, I used to be able, I used to do all those things that were keeping me on track. And now I'm, I don't feel like I'm on. Remember back when I, yeah. Yeah. How did I get away from that? And how do I get it back? So, you know, I really think, and, you know, people use new year's resolutions as an opportunity to kind of reset and, you know, but it, to me, it's a, a conversation to have at least with yourself or with your spouse and go, you know, when were we really um, hitting on all cylinders and what were we doing? And if, if, um, if we can get back to that, that's great. But also, um, you know, what, what maybe is more appropriate going forward, but, you know, the, the understanding is that, um, you know, you get into a routine that can help you then, then build upon that. And yeah. it's, it's so easy just to let it slip. And then you don't realize you let it slip. You didn't consciously let it slip. Just something happened, your routine changed and something fall off the wagon and yeah. you realize it till you got a few miles down the trail. Right. A couple of a buddy of mine, you know, he, uh, I can't remember if he'd injured himself or, or been on vacation or something, but it ha- hadn't worked out for a few weeks and we're out there in the morning and he, you know, he says, man, I am dying. You know? And I was like, I know it's like you, you, <laughs> you work consistently day by day, you know, for years. And then in three weeks it's over. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's fragile as hell, right? The yeah. same thing. Yeah. And you hit the goal and, and then all of a sudden you're five pounds heavier. It's like, well, all I did was kind of take my eye off the ball for a weekend. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. So kind of dialing back just a, a little bit, just kind of, you know, reversing ourselves, just, just the tiniest amount here. Uh, before Bert's uh, became a Clorox entity, right? Um, one of the things that, that I thought was super interesting when, when we talked before is that you, you not only were working for, Bert's was not just smaller than L'Oreal or you know, whatever, right? It wasn't just that it was smaller that made it different. There was, there was more to it than that. And, and it wasn't just that, you know, it was, uh, you know, a cooler environment and, and a, you know, better product maybe or whatever it was, but you, you mentioned it a couple times in there. You, you know, you kept saying mission, mission, and it had a mission, but you also had a mission and, and those things, aligning those things seemed to be a very important piece of moving it forward. And then actually even the corporate structure of Burt's was slightly different. Was it not? Um, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I'll, I'll pick up that piece of mission first. I, I think, um, you know, mission is incredibly, uh, popular now, um, because of some of the early work of, of, you know, this woman named Roxanne Quimby started Burt's Bees and, and she was as missional as you could ever think about. I mean, she was dirt poor, had to be missional about things, about selecting and making choices in her decisions. And, you know, um, she would never compromise on product. Um, she had her, 
her product standards that that she was never would never be convinced that she could you know save a couple pennies here or there and, and make money. Um, she would only do business with direct retailers that wanted to be in the business of of Burt's Bees. Meaning, if you call me up and you only have one item, she's like, "No, you're really not a serious customer. I, I'd rather you you know take everything and and and." you know, be in the business of, of selling natural products and Burt's Bees particularly. Um, so really passionate about that. And that, that helped seed the, the business overall um, for standards that we could carry on with and grow from. And um, the, the, one of the eye openers is that there were other people like me looking to accomplish mission within a business, which was pretty darn cool. And now if you're looking to hire millennials and younger in your businesses, you better have a mission and you better have a real mission because where I was perfectly happy at 25 years old, working for a big corporation and, and doing whatever I needed to do and selling products um, today um, you know, my sons and their, their, um, their counterparts, um, they would much prefer working for a company that's doing much more than just selling more widgets. Uh, Yeah. I mean, and they'll even do it for a lot less money sometimes. That's right. Yeah. Even to their own detriment in many cases. (laughs) Uh, But I think, you know, how do you get the thing? How do you get a business that's working and on a mission? And it isn't one or the other. It has to be both uh, because the stronger you get, the more missional you can be and the better you can help people. There are a lot of folks who just want the mission and the passion only. But if you're not successful, then really what what dent have you made in the universe? Yeah. Go join a nonprofit or something, but that's exactly yeah. exactly. Um, uh, so I, I think that's that's a real opportunity, and consumers today want to know what you're doing with their dollars, um, and I, I think that's a big difference. So um, both on the hiring side and on the on the customer side, mission matters, and it has to be a real mission. It's not a, a fake mission that slaps up on the website that you know you know this may sound good, um, you know transparency is a big deal. You know, you have to, you have to walk your talk and you have to, you have to have the right talk and the right walk, you know, to back that up. So I think those are really, really important. And then, um, you know, after Burt's and after we, we've uh, transitioned it all over to Clorox, um, a couple of us went up to do seventh generation, uh, very similar business to Burt's Bees and, and seven gen is a great company really in, in, um, uh, natural home care where birds is kind of was natural personal care, you know, in, in uh, industry parlance there, sorry. Um, but a very similar story, you know, very, very missional business, um, you know, was instrumental in getting phosphates out of cleaning products to help clean up the Great Lakes in the early days and always wanted to be on the, on the cutting edge of um, environmental packaging uh, products, ingredients, you know, if, if it wasn't proven safe, then it was guilty. You know, it was the opposite of our criminal justice um, kind of process. So all those things matter and more and more consumers today, you know, can easily get on the internet and do a little research and they figure out who's doing the right things and who's doing things that are just kind of wallpaper or window dressing. So, you know, I think that those real missions really matter and to, you know, make a, a long story short, you know, seventh generation was on a true mission and guess who comes along and buys seventh generation in 2017 is Unilever. So no. <laughs> and I think Unilever's gotten to an amazing place. So early in my career, Unilever was buying brands and just trying to figure out what worked in what markets around the world. And now there's a mandate. Uh, Paul Pullman was a 
a, a visionary CEO for many years at Unilever, and now Alan Jope is there continuing that on, and all the brands need to have legitimate missions behind them. Um, and they see that as a force for the future. And that's why they picked up seventh generation because seventh generation brought that to them. And that allows them to keep, compete in home care in the United States again, where they basically got out of everything and, and gave up the fight to P&G years ago. Uh, but now, you know, they're back in the fight, but in an interesting way to the consumers of tomorrow, not the consumers of yesterday. And I say that because like in my birthday, my, you know, seventh birthday party, my mom would have been totally fine serving Coke and Fritos and things like that. But now if a mom did that at a kid's seventh birthday party, I mean, she'd be vilified on, on Facebook is how you, know, you murdered my children. You gave them this, this stuff. And um, that has been a, a single generation change. So, I mean, things are moving pretty fast. You go to the grocery store and one day after the other, nothing seems to change, but man, things are changing really fast. Yeah. So the mission, mission is critical. Do you think that, that because of this missionality and because of this, this different focus and yes, you know, chicken, egg, whatever, right. You know, the, the, the consumers and the, and the workers now kind of demand it versus, you know, how it was just sort of, well, we'll take whatever you give us, you know, in the old days or whatever. Right. But do, do you think that this, this switch, um, uh, on the part of like a Unilever, or these very you know, large brands or whatever, do you think that it's an honest switch or do you think it's kind of more of the, Hey, we're doing this and we're going to kind of pretend like we're missional and, you know, so that everybody's happy or, or what are, do you think it's a, do you think they're straight? I think it's a spectrum there. I think Unilever absolutely is all in, um, even to the point where they stopped doing quarterly update, you know, it's, it's still a public company, but they, they weren't, you know, Paul Pullman basically said, I'm not going to chase these quarterly nuggets that you get that the, the, the market markets put out. And a lot of people didn't like that, of course. Um, but he basically said, this is a long-term game. This isn't a quarter to quarter game. This is a long-term game. And the game is much bigger than selling more stuff and stealing market share. The game is how do we improve humanity? Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of, and then you're like, well, okay, that's just crazy. What are you talking about? This is a CEO of a, of a, a public company. You know, his only job is to serve his shareholders. But, you know, there's things called B corporations now, et cetera, that have basically said, uh, we want to serve our stakeholders, right? So um, Unilever does things like buying sustainable palm oil where they could continue to just buy regular palm oil that was just, you know, taking down incredible amounts of acres, you know, of, of the Amazon rainforest, you know, and you can stand wherever you like on uh, global warming and things like this. But at the end of the day, you know, pollution is not good. You know, so how do we cut pollution? How do we improve living standards for people in India or third world countries or, or what the heck, Appalachia, USA? Um, and so all these things can be enabled much easier by businesses with missions than governments or UN panels. And you know, that's kind of the, the thing we pulled into and in, in the partnership I'm in today, that's what we work on companies with is like, how do you think about business as a force for good? How do you be an amazing place to work that, you know, enables people to do the things they want to do, pursue missional work on their own, but also, um, you know, here's, here's what this company is about. Here's what we're looking to do. Here's, here's something where we're going to make a change. And yeah, we're a for-profit business. Um, because we want to get big and strong um, and we want to be a, uh, a force for good in the world versus, again, just, just selling more uh, widgets and, and making a few shareholders a lot of money. Wow, man. Well, uh, 
this is one of those unfortunate times when uh, I go, I could sit and probably talk to Pete all day, uh, but we've we've probably spent about as much time as we can reasonable in a podcast, right? Um, but uh, t- tell everybody just really quick, kind of just very high level, what it is you are doing now and, uh, and, and why that makes a difference. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. And, you know, uh, this, I, I, I don't want to make this a commercial all and uh, I'm not selling anything, but yeah, we're a group is, we're a group called one better ventures. Um, there's just a handful of us. We've, we've got, uh, around eight people direct every day, but then we, we try to punch well above our weight and have a, have a very big network. Um, and so we coach, advise, and invest in up-and-coming businesses that are, that are largely missional in this health and wellness space. So, you know, we, we, we really love this business. We're good at it. We, we t- help companies make their strategy, a founder or a founding team, write strategy, do a, you know, three to five-year financial plan, go to market brand building, you know, those are the four areas we really focus in the most. And um, the idea is to, to have some fun doing it and kick some ass and win. <laughs> I hope that, I hope that's the mission statement, right? <laughs> kick some ass and win, right? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Uh, well, Pete, I, I can't thank you enough again for, for being with us on the, on the podcast. I really hope that guys heard uh, the lessons that were much bigger than just the business story that was, uh, that was in there. Um, and, uh, and again, I, I, I thank you so much. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there 43 feet at a time.